Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, hello. Is it me you're looking for? And welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing. This is widescreen podcasting and the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Of course, I am your host, Sam Wiles. Thank you all for listening. I hope you're all well, safe and sound. So, as you probably know, last episode was when we spoke to Denny motherfucking Sywell. And being the Uber Wings slash early Paul fan that I am, I probably spent more time talking about that phase of his life more than his publicist would have preferred. So to make up for that somewhat, we're going to follow up with a conversation with the head producer and mastermind of the album that we did indeed touch on somewhat last episode. If you don't remember, the album is called Ram On, the 50th anniversary tribute to Paul and Linda McCartney's Ram, which is out on May 14th, 2021. And very shortly, we're going to be speaking with prolific producer Fernando Podomo about its production, its inspiration, and, you know, how it all came together. Like I mentioned in my last episode, I didn't actually make contact with Fernando until I'd I'd already booked Denny solo and... If I'd have known, I could have chatted to both of them at the same time. I guess I probably would have gone down that route. Though, in retrospect, having Danny on solo did mean that I could have a one-on-one with him. It was very special, and I could indeed indulge in some more Wings and early solo Paul stuff. Plus, as you can see from today's episode, my chat with Fernando is also really, really long and hopefully, as you'll see by the end, really in-depth. So I'm glad that I've ended up getting two episodes out of this, not only because they're two separate episodes and I'm a shameless capitalist who wants to stretch out as much content as he can, but also because I'm just glad that I got to speak to each of these guys independently, no one had to talk over each other, and everyone got to have their full say on this project. And there may be some crossover, but also you might get a new perspective on some things we touched on last time as well. Obviously, if you haven't listened to my episode with Denny Sywell, what are you doing here? Go back and listen to that first. We'll be waiting for you. Of course, Fernando was a delight to talk to, and he roundly displayed that not only is he an incredibly talented musician and supremely knowledgeable chap in terms of the world of music, but he's also just a really nice person, a very giving person, and this interview has everything that was missing from the last episode, but so much more. Also, as someone who is far too self-conscious about whether they speak too much on this show and interrupt people too frequently, uh, Fernando is the perfect guest for, as you are about to hear, you know, you give him the most minute little nugget of a question to go off and he will talk for 10-15 minutes straight. I probably admire that so much because it reminds me a little bit of myself, but yeah, Since the lion's share of editing goes into all of my stuttering and breathing and ums and ahs, this episode didn't take all that long to put together. So that's also why it's out a little bit early as well. I think I have also fixed the audio here with this opening segment here and now. Got the mic back up and running. The audio may be a bit choppy in the interview itself, though. Again, it's Zoom. It was on Fernando's phone and I was having certain issues at the time. Please forgive me. Again... 
Trying to keep the intro short here for you today, folks. But before we can begin our chat with Fernando, we do have to crack on with the admin as we do our... Housekeeping! So, what do we have in terms of news today? Well, true to form, I thought I wasn't going to have anything to put here at all. And then just as I was compiling my last little bit of prep, boom! ClashMusic.com went ahead and released their bloody review of Three Imagined, or as they're calling it here, the far clunkier McCartney 3 Reimagined. Anyway, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. You can check out the website itself uh, in terms of specific song reviews, um, though I will say I was glad to see that St. Vincent got one of the two big shout-outs. Can't wait to hear that track. But I'll just read out a quick snippet now that should give you a clue as to their general thoughts on the album. It reads, Pleasingly diverse, it finds Sir Paul handing over the tapes to some truly incredible artists. Indeed, it's probably time to chalk curatorial abilities onto the lengthy things the Beatle icon excels at. Remixes are often, truth to be told, an absolute chore. A hangover from the 90s era of 17 quid compact discs. This reimagining, however, serves the noble dual task. It illustrates Paul McCartney's continued creative relevance to artists a third of his age, whilst also underlining the craftsmanship that went into last year's McCartney 3. Not an essential listen, perhaps, but one that will fascinate and intrigue fans. Wow, that is quite interesting indeed, isn't it, folks? Not an essential listen. You just heard it there. However, ClashMusic.com is not a Paul McCartney site. I'm sure if it was on, say, our blog and I was doing a review that way, which I probably should, actually, um, you could imagine the review would be a little bit more positive. Obviously, we are fans you're listening to this podcast right now, so it might immediately, automatically be a bit more essential, quote-unquote. However, if we are only going to grade this within the spectrum of McCartney's work, obviously there are going to be songs that are less valuable, more valuable, must-purchases, albums you don't need to worry about at all, and maybe this will be on the lower end. We are going to find out very soon. At the time of recording, it's coming out in two days, and I will be recording a review with a friend of the show very shortly after. Keep your eyes peeled for that one. But yeah, that's really it in terms of the news, apart from me wanting to point out the fact that ClashMusic.com misspelled the word reimagining in their review for McCartney 3, Reimagined, as they called it. Maybe if they just called it Three Imagined, they would have spelled it correctly, but who knows. Anyway, pressing on to the plugs now. To get in contact with the show, please email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I always want to hear your Paul McCartney stories, your trivia, your factoids. Have you ever met the man? Do you know someone who knows someone? Have you seen him live? Have you been to any notable or specific gigs? Is there one of my reviews you want to take me up on? Is there an album in the future you want to talk to me about? Maybe I got a fact wrong, or maybe you just want to say hi. Please, like I say, get in contact with the show. I love reading out your emails here. That's paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Fortunately, for those of you out there who like a short housekeeping segment, we don't have any emails to read out today. Pressing on. Follow us on our Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod for daily updates. You know, it's the best way to basically keep up to date with the show and all of my little ramblings. Follow us on the socials. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Simply by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Like I say, on the YouTube page, there is always new video highlights that I'm putting out now for each episode that I do via Zoom. 
So if you aren't a part of the Patreon page, the best way to catch certain episodes early or highlight some episodes early is to make sure you are following us on our YouTube. But yeah, for Facebook and Instagram, also Paul on the Think or Paul McCartney Podcast. If you want to help out the show right now in a way that takes only a few seconds, please consider leaving us a review on whatever platform you are using. If it's on YouTube, consider giving us the old thumbs up. And hey, if you want to write a comment, if you want to say something really nice, we'd always appreciate that as well. Now, if you want to help out the show directly, finally, I must talk to you about our Patreon page. Of course, Patreon is the place where you, the public, can support independent content creators such as myself. And if you want to help see the show grow, if you want to help keep the lights running, if you want to help me get new equipment, new products to review, that kind of thing, hey, maybe you just want me to have less time at work and more time working on the podcast, then yeah, Patreon is the way to do it. Becoming a member gets you some fantastic benefits, such as early access to episodes. Episodes are fully posted a couple of days early. You also get access to full scripts and research that I do for the podcasts, as well as exclusive video content. So yeah, I'm doing a lot of stuff on Zoom now. And not only can you get full episodes a couple of days early, but I'll basically take the Zoom footage and just put that straight on the Patreon. So in a lot of cases, with episodes that won't be coming out for weeks now, you will be able to watch the full video stream of them that will never be available on YouTube on the Patreon right now. So there is a lot of benefits to joining it, of course. There are also some secret benefits that I like to add that I don't talk about here on the show. So please, if you can afford it, if you are financially stable during these uncertain times, please consider throwing a couple of dollars at my face every month. Like they say, it's a cup of coffee or a pint, something like that. I'm sure many of you would love to buy me a pint, right? Come on. I also would like to welcome the latest kind-hearted soul, Motti Ryber. Motti, thank you so much for helping to continue the momentum of our little community. It really just warmed the cockles of my heart. I'm becoming increasingly proud of all the great stuff that we're putting on the Patreon page now, and there's loads more coming on the way, so please enjoy it, and I'm grateful that you think that that is worth it. It is all appreciated. It really is. Thank you to everyone else who is already a part of the Patreon family. Christian Perry, Richard Driver, Chris Atkinson, Richard Binnington, Mr. B, Teresa Brader, Stephanie Miller, Louis DiLonardo, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Anastasia L., Robert Carabelli, Warren Butson, and my man, Matt Phillips. Right, folks, that is everything for the plugs now. I've got nothing special or funny to say. I'm sure for many of you out there, you probably argue that I never have anything funny to say. But yeah, let's just jump right into my interview with the producer of Ram On, the 50th anniversary tribute to Paul and Linda McCartney's Ram. This is me and Fernando Podomo. Take it away, me. One, two, three, go. And now, everyone, it's time for me to bring on my next guest, dubbed by the LA Weekly as the millennial answer to Todd Rundgren. He is a professional session musician, played on three number one albums, and was also part of the excellent Echo in the Canyon band. Go and check out that soundtrack if you haven't already, folks. He's an incredibly prolific producer with a bafflingly long credits list, so I'm not even going to attempt to go into it. You know, he kind of makes... King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, blush. You know, he's, he's, he's got that many credits. On top of that, he's co-produced a remake of my, well, a tribute of my favourite album of all time. And I'm very fortunate to talk to him today. Everyone, please welcome Fernando Podomo. Fernando, how's it going, my friend? Hello, everybody. Um, I'm excited, you know, that, that there's so much 
passionate fandom for Ram and for for what could, was considered for a long time kind of like a taboo subject, you know, with the Beatles being so important to everyone. And then a lot of times when I was growing up a huge McCartney and Wings fan, it was like a footnote. It was like the old joke, you know, like, like, oh, he had a band before Wings? It was kind of like, you know, oh, okay. But it started with the Beatles with me when I was about six years old. And by the time I was eight, I had graduated to McCartney and Wings, and it almost eclipsed the Beatles to me. I've always been attracted to 70s music, 70s production, 70s recordings. And uh, to me, McCartney, 70 to 80, and actually, you know, 70, 70 on, but like, you know, especially 70 to 80 is really fascinating because I feel like it was the best recorded era of McCartney. I feel like fidelity wise, also the musicians that were involved, the studios, the equipment. I, I just am in love with those recordings. And as a, as a kid who was learning how to play guitar and learning how to play multiple instruments and becoming fascinated with the production element, listening on my Walkman to Ram, Venus and Mars, Speed of Sound, Wildlife, Red Rose Speedway, uh, all the way up to Back to the Egg, I remember going, wow, this is what I want my music to sound like. And in many ways, if you listen to stuff that I've produced, it is so influenced by 70s production. And I feel like the pinnacle of that is a lot of these great McCartney Wings records. And there's so much to listen to, uh, just starting with the songwriting. I mean, it's just next level. But Paul's bass playing really became something spectacular when he switched to the Rickenbacker and he went to full Wings mode. And there's just so many incredible moments just on bass alone. And he surrounded himself with such inspiring musicians from the Ram Band to the First Wings to the Wings Over America lineup, which I, I, I cherish as well, all the way to the Back to the Egg Band, which really, uh, it's a shame that the Back to the Egg Band only got to do one record and was kind of uh, uh, extinguished, you know, in a puff of pot smoke in 1980 before they could have gone on to do something as spectacular as Tug of War. And I always imagine what Tug of War would have sounded like if it was the true follow-up to Back to the Egg. A combination of McCartney 2 and, and Tug of War done by that Steve Holly, mm. uh, uh, Lawrence Juber, you know, incarnation of Wings would have been really interesting, even though I love Tug of War. And um, there's some of my favorite McCartney stuff on that record. Some of the of the session musicians that were included were uh, kind of pasteurized it a little bit, I feel. Like there's even songs where Paul's not even playing bass, where he's got Stanley Clark, who's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's just something to <laughs> that organic sound of musicians playing in a room together, which is something that really started with Ram, with Paul, Denny, Dave Spinoza, or Paul, Denny, Hugh McCracken in the room working these songs out. And... Um, one of the coolest things about working with Denny is that he's got the best stories and he's told us, you know, all the stories about all the sessions for Ram and how these songs were put together in the studio and how something that I never knew because 
all our lives we've heard about Paul being kind of like a, a dominator in the studio. You know, always telling George what to do, telling John what to do, telling Ringo what to do. And, you know, I'll play whatever, whatever you want me to play or I won't play anything at all. You know, you always hear about that. And one of the things that was fascinating to me was when Denny told me that not once during the sessions for Ram uh, did Paul get behind his drum set and say, play like this. It was everything that you hear in Ram, Wings Over America, we, sorry, Wings Wildlife and, uh, and, and Red Rose Speedway, that's Denny coming up with his own drum parts. And uh, he says only one time. Yeah, possibly Band on the Run as well. That's Denny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because there's Band on the Run. He says that he wishes that they would find the uh, rehearsal tapes of them rehearsing in Scotland yeah. for Band on the Run. And we could get a glimpse of what that album could have sounded like with Denny and Henry, which, as you know, that, that record song-wise is pretty hard to beat. But to me, it always sounded a little more like a demo because of the state of the studio in Lagos and some of the sounds. I always felt like that album had a crappy drum sound, you know, and just, just kind of flat, you know, the drums kind of sound like cardboard boxes on that. And I remember being underwhelmed by that record because I first heard Band on the Run, Jet, on Wings Over America. Mm. And then I heard Band on the Run. And it kind of left me a little flat because it didn't have the excitement of Joe English's drumming and Jimmy McCulloch's guitar playing on the live stuff. You know, it just didn't have the same balls to me. Um, but it's an incredible record. I mean, there's some incredible moments on Band on the Run, especially 1985. That one kills me. And, and uh, No Words, the guitars on No Words is just amazing. But I always felt like the drumming... As much as I love Paul, mm. it's not necessarily his drumming. It's the drum sound on Band on the Run that kind of bothers me. And a lot of it was because they didn't have any microphones. From what I understand, um, when they went to Lagos, they had one good mic. <laughs> and everything else was crappy, you know, $50 microphones. And you could tell, you know. So it's all good. So... As an American producer, perhaps you can give me some insight then into the fact that Ram is the American Solar McCartney album as well. It was it was produced uh, in uh, CBS and AR recording studios in New York. Are they are they as famous as like Abbey Road and Hogs Hill Mill over here? Okay. Here is the interesting thing about AR to me. I'm all over the place when it comes to my fandom. And one of the artists that I absolutely adore which funny enough has a big Denny Sywell connection is Billy Joel. Right. And uh, the album 52nd street refers to the studio where 52nd street was recorded, which was A&R studios. Right. So Ram, the stranger 52nd street, uh, glass houses, all those albums were done in the same studio. Another al another set of albums that was done at A&R, Laura Nero, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Yeah. A famous thing that happened at A&R that no one ever talks about, because everybody thinks this was recorded at the Troubadour, was the uh, classic uh, Elton John live album, 11, 17, 70. Mm. That was actually recorded at A&R Studios, even though the cover photo was taken at the Troubadour. Oh. So that was actually recorded in a recording studio. In front of an audience. Oh, so but, it's what, kind of like a Nighthawks at the Diner 
kind of thing with Tom Waits. A little right. bit. Oh, okay. A little bit. It's 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 recorded professionally in a recording studio in front of an audience. So when people listen to that record and they they close their eyes, they imagine, you know, Elton John, D. Murray, and Nigel Olson playing in a at the Troubadour. Really, it's it's recorded in a studio. Oh, could so. could you imagine if someone said, "Oh, by the way, the crowd chatter at the end of Get Back that was just fake and in studio. That's not real. Sorry." Well, you know what's funny is that I just found out a really interesting fact. I'm a huge Blood, Sweat, and Tears fan, and I recently have been um, have been uh, ju- uh, been binging some interesting videos, and I found one with uh, Steve Katz, who was their guitar player, who went on to produce Lou Reed, mm. and he's talking about how uh, Rock and Roll Animal, his classic live album with Sweet Jane and everything, how one of the microphones in the audience recording didn't work. So they only had a mono audience and they needed a stereo audience recording. So they pulled audience recording from a John Denver concert. Oh, wow. And he says, he never told Lou Reed because he says it would have killed him. And he says, I wonder if someone told him and then he died. Because, you know, Lou Reed would probably have hated the fact that his audience recording was, you know, from John Denver. But, you know, look, I love Wings Over America, but it's well known that that album was sweetened very oh, much yeah, in the studio. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially when you hear, like, for example, the Australia performance that's on YouTube. Yes. With the same band. Fantastic, yeah. And uh, they were, uh, you know, look, Wings Mark One was very loose. Yeah. You know, Denny was tight, but he will tell you, he'll be the first to tell you that, you know, Henry and Denny Lane had issues. They, 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 were, they were not studio musicians. They were live musicians. Mm-hmm. And... Their, their general approach to tuning guitars, to playing the same parts every time. That was actually the, what I heard was the main issue with Henry is that he would never play the same solo twice. Too jazzy, yeah. Which, you know, it's kind of tough when you're playing McCartney because I, I recently did a, a, a deep dive into, actually, I want to put this together. I want to put together a supercut of uh, Maybe I'm Amazed, all the different guitar players and their oh, different approaches to Yeah, that- because there's the original McCartney, which is kind of twangy, because uh, uh, for McCartney 1, I don't think he had any type of distortion pedal. I think that's just like a Fender Deluxe amp cranked, and it's not necessarily distorted. So it's like his original approach was very kind of twangy. And then uh, Henry McCulloch, he he had a very interesting way of playing it, uh, a little sloppy. And then Jimmy, oh my God, Jimmy, Jimmy was... People recently, there was a thread on Facebook about songs that really came to life live. And that there's something to that Wings Over America version of Maybe I'm Amazed that just rises to the top. There's that ending, mm-hmm. Jimmy's tone, that feedback that he gets halfway through the solo. It's, it's you know, I, I do a lot of archaeology. And uh, when, I, when I heard Slash for the first time, mm. I heard Jimmy. Right. And when they did Live and Let Die, I was like, oh, it all makes sense now. Because I could totally hear young Sal, whatever his name is, Sal, Sal Goodstein or whatever, listening to Wings Over America and going, that's a tone. Because I always felt like Jimmy McCulloch's guitar tone and Slash's guitar tone is very similar. Mm. Very mid-range, very Gibson, very very Gibson through a Marshall type sound. And uh, 
Definitely. And then I heard like Lawrence Juber's rendition, which had a lot of effects on it, but very, very Jimmy actually. And then, you know, Robbie McIntosh. I got to see Robbie McIntosh. Now, the first time I, I'm 40 years old, so I missed the Flowers in the Dirt tour because I was too young. But I, the first McCartney show I ever saw was off the ground tour. Uh, the, uh, the, the, what was it called? The, uh, Back in the world, was it? Uh, no, yeah, back in the U.S. No, it's, it's not back in the U.S. It was called the uh, Something USA Tour, and it was amazing. And it was it was incredible. And I loved Robbie. I am a diehard biker like an icon uh, <laughs> um, fan. Uh-huh. And I, 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 you know, it's like I, my entire career, I've been a person that I, that I love the underdog. And when I saw people saying that's the worst McCartney song and blah, 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 I love passionately defending Biker Like an Icon. Yeah, uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb, same same. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the Press to Play album, uh, you know, Give Ireland Back to the Irish, you know. A lot of the McCartney stuff that gets, you know, shat on, uh, I absolutely love. I love Memory Almost Full. That record blows me away. That's my favorite McCartney record of the last... Okay, so I would put that one up against Flowers in the Dirt as the best of the last 20 years to me. Wow. In my personal opinion. And I love Chaos and Creation. There's a lot of new that I love. Uh, I I loved a lot of Egypt Station. I, I was... uh, I have a funny story about Egypt Station. I met Greg Kirsten uh, because he did a show with Bird and the Bee at the Federal Bar here in LA. And I was super excited to meet him afterwards because I'm a huge fan of his band, Geggy Tom. And I posted a picture of me and Greg and said, just talked about Geggy Tom for 10 minutes with Greg Kirsten. I'm super excited. And they're like, oh, that's the hello guy. And I had no idea that he had produced Hello for Adele. (laughs) Well, I also had no idea that he did that show taking a break from producing Paul. You know, which, in my opinion, I think that album should just have been Greg. Because as much as I could defend Biker Like an Icon, I can't can't defend Fabi Fa You. I I love the bridge, but, but most of that song... I love you, Paul. You know, you know, you know what? I'd rather have any Paul than no Paul. So what about um, Get Enough? Well, Kanye is a sore spot because I'm also a huge King Crimson fan. I did a King Crimson album, Classical Guitar. And, I, you know, when he did Power with 21st Century Schizoid Man, it caused Robert Fripp to retire for a few years. You know, he was so he felt he said he felt raped, you know. Because, wow. yeah, he was very he he was very mad. That's very interesting. I've never even considered that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but you know, Kanye is is an enigma. He's you know, every generation has those powerful and baffling characters <laughs> that get you know considered a genius. You know, one of the going back to Ramos. Yes, let's. My initial detective work into how people feel about it, they either are are taking it with open arms or going, why does this exist? You know, best quote was, 
well, my original copy of Ram sounds fine. Why should I hear anything else? Or, you know, disappointed by the, by the, the, uh, the lineup, you know, I'd rather have that than just like indifference because I feel like the worst thing that could happen to a record is if somebody just ignores mm -hmm. it. But it's people have been passionate enough to say either, yes, take my money or why does this exist? Mm -hmm. And that's part of what makes Kanye Kanye is that for every five people that think he's the rap genius of the century or the voice of a generation, there's five people that think he's a complete mm -hmm. turd. You know, and that's the thing that makes him so huge is that people love to hate on him as much as they love praising him. Just to go back to uh, people's reactions to Ramon, I've seen this is just from, again, my own personal research and yeah. looking on Facebook and posts and Reddit and stuff. It's got a greater reception than Three Imagined has so far with all the tracks that uh, Three Imagined has put out. I mean, to have a greater hype around your tribute album than compared to the actual McCartney tribute album that's coming out now, that that shouldn't be poo-pooed, you know? You should, you should feel good about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled about 3 Imagine, too, because, you know, I, I was... There's some incredible moments on 3, and he's picked some incredible people to do these mm -hmm. songs. And I can't, for example, I can't wait to hear the Crangbin track. I think that's going to be mind-blowing. I can't wait to hear the Josh Home track because I know that he's going to kill Left Toy <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because for everyone that says, why reimagine these tracks? Because they're already perfect. I'll say, look, but Paul's doing it with, with, with McCartney 3, you know? So it's interesting that we had a similar idea around the same yeah, time. It's the 50th anniversary. You're not doing it on a frivolous date, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, there's also the for everybody that's excited about three, they're like, oh, he's going to figure out another way for us to buy McCartney three because we've already, you know, the record collectors have already spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars and pounds buying the different colored versions of McCartney three. And now there's another one. You, you should know, have done that. We're only going to do one version of Ram on, by no. the way. We're not going to do you multiple, one multiple version which had um, like Road All Night on it. One version which had Hey Diddle. You know, you really could have stretched it out. Sunshine sometime. You know, we're, uh, we actually, I actually thought about doing Road All Night, but, uh, you know, there's a certain beauty to that version of Paul and, and Denny jamming, mm -hmm. you know, that they're, and also, you know, that that song was finished and given to uh, Roger Daltrey. Yeah. And it's a song called Giddy, which is on his uh, One of the Boys album. And it's not anywhere as cool as Road All Night. Uh, so it's kind of better that the lyrics are kind of like indecipherable, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool. It's, it's Again, Paul is so good at improvising. Mm -hmm. And when you see that that song was made up on the spot, man. So good. I mean, it's the same Paul that wrote Freedom in one minute, you know, that, you know, there's so many times that Paul's mumbo's, you know, written in a second, you know, but it's so great because that's when you're such a genius that even the stuff that you make up on the spot potentially is life altering. Perfect example. Uh, you know, freaking uh, yesterday mm. that he woke up from a dream and wrote scrambled eggs, you know, and now it's yesterday, the most covered song of all time. It's amazing. You know, it's really, really beautiful Yeah, that a human being can be so effortless at what he does.
And as a person that's seen Paul play many times, there's the whole topic about him not drinking water at shows. It's true. Man, he's 78 years old, singing songs in the original key and playing 39 songs. That's the thing. One of the things that I talked about is how when you go see Paul, every other show becomes almost like you're cheated. When you see a young band play an hour 10, an hour 20, (laughs) you know, and then call it a day when someone almost three times their age can play for 39 minutes without a break and scream at the top of his lungs, play bass, play guitar, play piano. You know, somebody asked recently, actually it was on a Beatles, it was a Beatles Facebook post. Like what did, what did the Beatles do? What did, what did, it was, I forgot what the exact question was, but what did the Beatles do to influence you? Mm. And what I said was they raised the bar so high that we have to reach to the stars to attempt to get to their level. Mm. And there's two types of musicians. There's ones that want to be Beatles quality and ones that take the easy, the easy way out. And I feel like every musician that's on Ramon are people that are, that have, are living, that are making music uh, inspired by not just the Beatles musically, but the Beatles as human beings and the Beatles as working musicians because they work their asses off. I mean, another reason why, you know, the Beatles kind of decided to call it a day after only seven years of putting out records is that those seven years were grueling. Even when they went off the road, they spent a lot of time making these records and they, it was taxing on them. You know, Ringo quit during White Album, George quit during Let It Be, John quit, and they finished Let It Be without him. You know, there was a lot of emotional distress Mm. of having to top each record, especially after Rubber Soul, where you see an echo in the canyon, the movie I'm in, where Brian Wilson talks about hearing Rubber Soul and going, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. How do we top this? And then they made... Rubber Soul. They made they made Rubber Soul. No, I'm sorry. They made uh, uh they made freaking uh, Pet Sounds, which then Paul was like, "How do we top this?" You know, Revolver, Sergeant Pepper. You know, so it's really interesting to see. That's something that doesn't happen a lot anymore in pop music is people challenging other people to be better. When I hear a Ariana Grande song, it doesn't want make me want to be better. It kind of like makes me feel sad that I would have to dumb down my art to make it more marketable, you know? Nothing against Ariana Grande as a person or even as a singer. It's just that the music is not inspiring to me. When I hear half of the music that won Grammys this year, it doesn't really, you know, I understand why it exists. But are we really pushing forward as musicians, as artists, as creators? When every song kind of sounds the same, you know? I'm Cuban, I'm from Miami, Florida, and there's this thing that's taken over the world called reggaeton music. Mm-hmm. And there's Bad Bunny, uh, there's Karen G, Carol G, and there's a major artist now, and that's an entire genre based on one beat. There's the old joke about what the Beatles would have sounded like if Pete Best would have stayed on drums, and there's that silly remix of... Uh, of uh, 
of uh, I am the walrus with the... <laughs> oh, that's mean. No, that's so... I know, I know, I know. But but he, he did pretty much play one beat, you know, uh, throughout the entire time. You know, reggaeton is one beat. That's the whole genre, you know. That's the thing that makes it so exciting as a Beatles fan. They listen to the Beatles and have the same band that did She Loves You is the same band that did Side 2 of Abbey Road. The same four musicians, the same producer, the same studio, the same ten fingers, you know, on each hand, on each arm. Well, two, five for each hand. If they did have ten fingers on each hand, that would explain it. The same ten fingers playing completely different types of music in different levels of complexity, equal amounts of beauty, you know? Sorry, I'm a rambler. Uh, but I just love talking. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, it fits to do rambling. You know what? Um, I'll I'll try and re- I'll try and rein it in. I'll do some professional questions. Sure. So, how did you? Co- so, obviously, you only live eight minutes away from Danny Seibel. But how did you come to meet him? How did the project start? You know. Well, I first met him at a convention that happens every year pre-COVID called uh, the NAM Convention, which is uh, the National Association of Music Merchants. And basically, it happens every year in, uh, in Anaheim, California. And what it is is a, a large convention of musical instrument makers. And they invite all of their artists. And Denny's always there walking around. And I introduced myself. And, you know, we, we got along from minute one of talking. And then I ran into him again uh, at a Denny Lane show where I was actually asked to sit in with the band and I got to play the acoustic part on uh, on Band on the Run. With oh. De- uh, actually, a lot of my friends that are in Bebopalula, the band that did uh, Al- Uncle Albert on Ramon, they play with Denny, uh, Alex Jules, Ben Lacourt, uh, my friend uh, uh, Papar- Eric Paparazzi. Um, they all play with Denny, and they invited me to play the acoustic guitar part on Band on the Run. And that night, uh, Denny and his like, baby just CNF. <laughs> yeah, it's simple. But it was just incredible. You know, it was just like a, a, a another pinch myself moment. So I had gotten Denny's information. I knew I was going to hire him for something. I ended up in a band called Open Sound that was doing a covers record. And uh, we had talked about doing too many people. And I said, well, let's take it to the next level and uh, pull some money and hire uh, Denny to play drums. And let's get to do two songs. And I picked Some People Never Know, which is my favorite song on, on Wildlife. So we did those two songs. He loved my studio. He loved my work ethic. And he loved my playing. Open Sound uh, didn't, ha- didn't work out. Uh, we did one album and then nothing. And I always told Denny, I'm like, it would be awesome if we did like a Ram band and played Ram live. COVID happened. And then that became an album concept. So... I convinced Denny that we could get the original sounds and make a new version of the album for the 50th anniversary. Now, Denny is 78 years old and a responsible adult. So he texted Paul and said, hey, is this cool if we do this? And he wrote back and said, great idea. Have fun. And that was it. I mean... Did you have to pay for to like license the music or anything? Or was it just- well the, to release it? We we got a, a license through uh, Harry Fox organization and through uh, uh, through uh, MPL. So it's all it's all worked out. But anybody could cover anything, 
You know, I've actually, uh, I produced a record for uh, Yes's management, the uh, 50th anniversary tribute to Yes uh, that came out uh, back in 2019. I've played on all the other tribute records and I've put out album covers. I just put out a Todd Rundgren album called TR Guitar, also on Cherry Red, which is all Todd Rundgren songs done instrumental. And anybody could cover a song. You just need to get a license to sell it. Oh, okay. But yeah, I mean, it's all worked out. You know, there's no, it's all legally worked out. But here's the exciting thing is that I saw with my own eyes a text from Paul McCartney because Denny and, and Paul <laughs> are really good friends. And he is not a man of, he's not a man of many words on text, but they text often. And it's funny, he started scrolling. He's like, see, look, we talk all the time. And I was just like, I, I can't believe I'm, what I'm seeing. You know, it's like anytime you see a God like McCartney being human, you know, yeah. like the paparazzi photos and stuff. It's like, it reminds you that we're all made of the same flesh and bone. It's just Paul made better use of it. <laughs> you got this Snapchat so filter, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be hilarious too. If you got like an like a, a IG message or a Snapchat or whatever. I don't know. I also found out that uh, Ringo's an emoji guy. Really? <laughs> yeah yeah like every every text that he has from ringo is like smiley face you know peace of love peace of love no, peace of love. Autographs. Love. no autographs peace of love i got to meet ringo you know he's an all he's also an echo in the canyon and i got to meet ringo backstage at the echo in the canyon um premiere and my friend ken sharp was also on the record said ringo this is my friend fernando and he's and i have a video of this he's like Fernando, what's going on? I'm like, he knows my name. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, I still haven't met Paul, but I still wonder about the scientific process that my body's going to go through. Like, shock, will I become? Roll with it. Just will go I overspeak? Will I underspeak? Um, will, I, will I die? You know, will it, will, will it cancel out? Will I, you know... It's, it's one of those things, because it's like, I've only gotten to meet Ringo. I never got to meet John or George. In fact, I was only three months old when John died. So I'm only 40, so I, I missed a lot of the good stuff. Mm. My first concert ever was Ringo and the All-Stars, uh, second tour. The one with uh, McCartney. No, sorry, no, no, no. The one with, with, uh, with Burn Cummings, Todd Rundgren, uh, Joe Walsh, uh, Timmy Capello. And talk about a great first concert. I mean, it was like buffet, you know? It's like being hungry and walking into a buffet and, you know, there's all your entire record collection on stage, you know? Timmy B. Schmidt doing, doing uh, I Can't Tell You Why, you know? Uh, uh, Joe Walsh doing In the City and, uh, and, and uh, uh, Rocky Mountain Way, you know? Burton Cummings, the opening song of the night was, was uh, No Time, Left for You, with, you know, Todd Rundgren playing lead guitar. And then, you know, you get Yellow Submarine and Photograph and Don't Come Easy. If wow. you haven't seen Ringo and the All-Stars, it's never a waste of your money. It's always an incredible time. That certainly beats me seeing, seeing uh, Jamiroquai at the Birmingham NEC. That's <laughs> oh, which tour? Um, it was for uh, Dynamite. Wow. Yeah, Black Devil Car blew down the house that night. Oh, my as God. As long as Stuart Zender was on bass. One of my favorite bass players. I actually, I, I one of my ex-girlfriends got me into Jamiroquai. And, I, and you know, in America, they're a one-hit wonder, which is stupid, which you know. Which is their hit? Uh, 
virtual insanity is the only thing oh. that made it out here. You oh, know, so much more America. There's so much more. I know. You know what it is? You see the shirt I have on right here? Oh, this is one of my top five favorite bands of all time. And in America, they're a one hit wonder. In Europe, they're a 15 hit wonder, you know? So it's like, I don't understand. America has this uh, filter where, you know, we don't know about Stone Roses. We don't know about, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't know about even take that didn't make it here. You know, we got Robbie Williams. We didn't get take that, you know? So it's interesting to see all the stuff that's huge in England, that's huge in Europe that doesn't filter out here. And, uh, you know? Fucking. Yeah. So Jamiroquai, underrated band, underrated band. And, and, and uh, that first album, Emergency on Planet Earth, is my favorite. Yeah. It's one of those few space albums that's not too corny. You know, it's like, eh, no. I'll, I'll, no. I'll roll with this. I'll roll with this. No, they're they're fantastic and uh, and uh, very underrated. And J.K. is, uh, you know, a lot of people consider him a Stevie Wonder ripoff. No, man, he's his own thing. I, I love his I love his vocals. I love his delivery, and I love the interesting keyboards they use too. A lot of really cool sounds. As a producer, I latch on to anything that that uh, gives me chills, and I get intense chills listening to them. So nothing to be sad about. That your first concert was Jamiroquai, well, you yeah. know. Feel if you want to be sad, I know people that their first concert was like, you know, Britney Spears or Spice Girls or, you know, the Wiggles. Hey, you got nothing, got nothing wrong with the Wiggles. Speaking of uh, producing, how do you produce an album in, in a pandemic? Okay, it's very simple. There's this thing called the internet. Right. And it was proven that you can't get COVID by email. So... We Can just, we get COVID by email? Get, no, get if you, email. Oh. <laughs> you can get computer viruses. Hey. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Denny Sywell's calling me right now. I'm not going to accept it. <laughs> no, you rang him during when when I was interviewing him. That's really funny. <laughs> I think it's just us at the moment, folks. Oh, I think it's going quite well. This is another one of those times where I'm like, oh gosh. I haven't asked half the questions I want yet, and yet I've got more content than I ever could have imagined, really. My gosh. Uh, what am I going to ask? Denny Sywell knocked me off the parlor nothing. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's funny. So I hit the wrong button, and I took the I took the call, and I'm like, I'm undoing the interview, and Denny's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but you rang him when I was interviewing him. Oh, that's right. Yes. So, that's funny. Yeah. See? It rhymes, man. It's all, it's all poetry, you know? Okay, so, so basically you can't get COVID through email. So what we did is we created guide tracks and we started sending files out everywhere to anyone that I knew was not just a Beatles fan, not just a Paul McCartney fan, but Ram fans. Right. I've met a lot of musicians and Ram comes up a lot. And these are musicians that I've had conversations with about Ram. These are musicians that I've jammed songs with. You know, just this guy, Jacob Jeffries, who played piano on Dear Boy, that I have distinct memories of jamming with him. Too many people, Dear Boy, Backseat in My Car, back in Miami when we were teens. So it was interesting because, you know, Denny provided a few people, but I provided a, a, a lion's share of people that I felt deserved to be on this record. And 
when people say, well, the lineup doesn't really inspire me. Well, that's the thing is that I've seen a lot of tribute albums crash and burn because they have uh, flavor of the month artists that might not have the same approach to covering a song than artists that are in love with the original version would. And uh, everybody that sings a song on this record sings it with passion, with respect, and with joy. There's joy in everything we do. And uh, the only thing, and this is actually the toughest thing about making this record, was Denny said he would only do it if he had final say on who sings what, who plays what. And he said, I'd like to hear multiple singers sing each song. And then pick the best one. So some incredibly good and some famous were not picked because Denny picked the ones that his ear perked up to, not based on fame, not based on clout, and not based on friendship. So, for example, I'm not going to say who he beat out, but Adrian Bourgeois, who sings Dear Boy, beat out some name people because he just was the best one. And he's only 26 and he doesn't really have a name for himself yet, but we're hoping that through this record, people are going to check him out and say, I love that voice. I want to hear his stuff. You know, Brentley Gore, who sang backseat in my car, he got picked and I got a phone call from one of my favorite new indie artists that said he wanted to sing backseat in my car. And I said, look, Denny's already picked the guy. You know, so what you hear on Ramon is the best possible people on each track as picked by someone who was there when Paul played these songs, which is Denny, because his, his standards are already through the roof because he remembers being there behind the drum kit with Paul playing the guitar, saying, I've got this new song called Another Day. And yeah. he talks about it in these videos that we're putting out where it's like he looks at Spinoza and goes, Oh my God, this, this is happening. You know, we're the Beatles now, you know, we're his beat or new Beatles, you know, and he's playing these songs to us the same way that he played the songs to John George and Ringo and said, I've got this new song. It's called, you know, she's leaving home. What should I do with this? So uh, oh, I've got this new song. It's called, uh, Hey Jude, you know, speaking of Dave Spinoza, by the way, did he recreate history and leave halfway through the sessions? <laughs> uh yes he had a jingle to do uh i think it had something to do with uh he had to do some quaker oats commercial yeah that, that's a funny story because you know as a working guitar player i've i've double booked myself before really but oh wow if paul called <laughs> let's just put it this way there's a great story that 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 denny tells which is heartbreaking because i'm a huge both twin tears fan as i said and paul decided to bring in jimmy John James William Guercio to finish Ram when they were in London in, uh, in L.A. James Guercio came in to produce a couple of songs for Ram, one of them being Dear Boy. And James got the call that Paul McCartney wanted him to come in after he had booked his honeymoon, and he said, "It's Paul McCartney. Okay, my honeymoon could wait." So he canceled his honeymoon, went to L.A., and it only took a day and a half for Paul to fire him. <laughs> oh, my God. And Denny said, 
that one of the most uncomfortable things he's ever seen was Paul firing Jimmy and Jimmy. Okay. I shouldn't say this. Jimmy cried. (laughs) Imagine you get hired and fired by, (laughs) you get hired and fired by Jimmy Guercio. By by Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. And you canceled your, your honeymoon, but I would cancel. I would, I would, I would postpone a wedding or a, you know, for for McCartney, I mean, you know, you put everything aside. That's the ultimate phone call. He, he, he you know, knew you're a, you're a producer. I'm gonna imagine you're Hugh Padgham for a moment, and Paul McCartney yeah. looks over to you and says, "You know, you've you've just made a criticism about a drum track," and he, and then it, then he goes, "Well, did you write yesterday?" Oh my! Oh. Oh. You just melt, wouldn't you? What do you say to that? There's nothing you can do. Well, that's the thing, Paul is why we're here. Not just because this is a Paul McCartney podcast, but he is that spark that made me want to not just play guitar, but play everything. You know, Um, I got introduced to McCartney when I was about seven years old, the album McCartney. And I remember looking at that record and going, Paul played everything. It could be done, you know? And next thing you know, I was asking my mom for a four track for Christmas. And I got that when I was uh, 10, 11 years old. And I was learning the drums and learning the guitar and bass and trying to sing harmonies and stuff. That's where it all started to me. You know, it's like he is the template. You know, Todd Rundgren and Paul are my two biggest templates when it comes to my career. And Paul, you know, set the bar very high. And it's what we all strive for. You know, the excellence, the confidence the sheer confidence that's one of paul's biggest traits is confidence you know even when he's phoning it in on something it's pure confidence you know that 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 he's just a badass at every single thing he does you know i love that oh yeah and but making this record was a real incredible experience because who you know there's there's this is another scientific thing i noticed it's harder, it's easier to find someone that's never heard Ram than to find someone that doesn't like Ram. It's one of those things that once you hear it, you massively fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much to love. Number one, the songwriting is strong. Number two, it sounds like a million bucks. Uh, the sound Paul got on Ram is quintessential 70s. It's a great headphones listen. The drumming is great. The bass playing is great. The guitar playing is great. The piano playing is great. The singing is great. Linda's awesome on it. I mean, great. you know, everybody's got personality, the orchestration, everything about it is a masterpiece. So it was hard to create something that can possibly stand up to it using home studio equipment. And some people even recording on their phones, like Marvin Stam, who, who, who cut the trumpet solo on the original Halsey, you know, played it on the new one. I taught him how to record it on his phone. And that's what you hear on the record, an iPhone recording of his trumpet. And it sounds amazing. Yeah, but see, that's funny because, like, back in 1969, 1970, Paul is lauded for doing quite rough home recording. Then he does Ram, and it's the the quote-unquote polished step-up album. And now home recording is so advanced that Paul can do McCartney 3 and you can do Ram on literally from home. That's incredible, isn't it? See, that's that's an incredible... Thing because you know for years 
the most you could get out of a home recording was a demo, you know, eight tracks. Sometimes, you know, there's some stuff that crept out like Emmett Rhodes and, you know, some of the, uh, some home recordings, like, you know, when, when, when rock stars would build studios in their homes and next thing you know, Prince, you know, with, with, and, uh, and stuff like that. But these days, most of what we're hearing is recorded in home studios. You know, it's a beautiful thing because now the process of making a record, there's no longer that financial um, wall that you have to cross. Like one of the things that blows my mind is even if you were making a demo, you had to invest over a hundred dollars in tape just to make that demo. Mm -hmm. And you would hear all the time about people re-recording, like erasing and re-recording using the same tape. Uh, there's a terrible story I heard because I'm a huge fan of Renaissance, the band Renaissance, that um, uh, they were also on IRS. The police erased a Renaissance master tape and recorded their first album on that Renaissance master tape. <laughs> and I'm like, that's heartbreaking because knowing IRS, that was probably the that was probably the master tape for Camera Camera, which is one of my favorite Renaissance records. Yeah, but I mean, you've got Billie Eilish now, and um, like everyone's like, oh, well, she, you know, she's one of these rich girls. And it's like, yeah, but her and her brother aren't using tech that you can't just buy off, you know, the Apple store for under $50 now, you know? It's all it's all there. I love Billie, and Billie and Phineas are the future. And uh, I... I, 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 I Guaranteed, they're going to collaborate with Paul. Guaranteed. Ooh, they might even do a whole record. Ooh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be the Billy Shears record. The, <laughs> no, but but um, here's the deal. I was fascinated by a video that's on YouTube where they talk about the studio where they recorded Bad Guy and everything. Ooh. It's rudimentary gear. I mean, Logic, yeah. a controller. A $800 mic called the Neumann TLM 103, which is my favorite mic. Okay. And she recorded the vocals sitting on a uh, cross leg on a bed, you know, in a bedroom. And that's the biggest selling album of 2020 or 19. And it was recorded at home using $100 software, a $100 mic, and a controller and a guitar. And it's amazing because you know what? Sometimes what Paul taught us with McCartney and McCartney 2 is it's not the technology, it's the passion. Because you listen to McCartney. I, I, I recently listened to McCartney 1 with my girlfriend on a drive. And it's fascinating to hear that what makes that record different than other four-track albums is that Paul didn't have a console. Therefore... A lot of the tracks, he didn't do any bouncing. So you hear four elements. Mm -hmm. For example, a perfect example is Mama Miss America. You hear drums, channel one, bass, channel two, piano, and electric guitar. And halfway through, the piano track switches to acoustic guitar. And the piano goes away. Right. So you hear four elements. So it's four tracks, four elements. Same thing goes to Hottest Sun. Same thing goes to That Would Be Something. A lot of the what more like homespun tracks. What, what about Krina Cora, though? That seems pretty complex. Krina Cora. I love that track. I said, I said, Cindy, 
do you realize that the first Paul McCartney album ends with a drum solo? <laughs> and she's like, what? And that's all it is. Yeah. It's Paul showing off his drum technique and breathing over it, you know. But that track, I think only has, but I think he finished that one at Abbey Road because it has, yeah. one. It has the same organ sound as, as, as uh, Maybe I'm Amazed. So I think that one was done at Abbey Road. But God, nobody talks about Queen of Karaya. You're good, man. No, see, you know, I actually know about it because it's cool. It's a bit of a meme on my show as to how much I rag on it as a track. No, oh, I love it. Oh, just I don't know. I'm kind of boring at times. I would have been happy with just a, another cover of like Lucille or something. You know. Ah, but see, that's the thing is that Paul listened to a lot of music, and I can totally tell that he heard like like Toad. By, by cream or like you know and he's like oh i want to do a track like that you know and uh one of my favorite tracks on red rose speedway is loop the first indian on the moon and that's totally like traffic you know to me that's like it's such a cool track because it's like paul goes prom well, like, um, Pink you know? we were like in the studio next door i think as well so there's definitely some some leak over there definitely who i think pink floyd were like in the next studio oh yeah yeah at, at, at abbey road um, yeah, but they were in three. They were in the they were in the baby room. <laughs> um, just to go back to Ram for a second, it's interesting just how much of McCartney's career was also fed by unused Ram tracks. Like you've got the stuff that was never even. Oh yeah. Like you got a love for you that was worked on up until like the late eighties. He was trying to get that release, you know. Little woman love. Uh, the one that kills me is uh, is freaking get on the right thing and uh, Be a friend as well. Yeah, I mean, come on, get on the right thing. I always imagine that being a wings track, and it's interesting to know that Spinoza is on that. You know, mm. it's really cool. It's a great track. Oh. You know, Red Rose Speedway is, is mind blowing. That record is great, and it's also awesome to see that all the you know the original two disc version. You know, opening up with Night Out and Jazz Street, and wow, what a cool record! You know, what a cool group of guys and girls and making music with no intention of it being commercial. Because that's the thing that's really cool about Wings is that they had the hits, like My Love, and, uh, and you know, they, they had the hits. But the albums, especially if you consider that the regular thing now is that you have an album where it's like a collection of 12 singles, mm -hmm. as opposed to an album that challenges you like wildlife that opens up with a jam goes into bib bop, which is like, you know, the best kind thing of, ever. <laughs> it is the best thing ever, but it's not a hit, you know, <laughs> love is strange, which is an old song, you know, into wildlife, into, you know, God, dear friend and tomorrow and, and, and then weird ass stuff. I mean, you know, it's really cool to see, variety on records and paul always had variety because you know london town take london town where it's like with a little luck and freaking uh you know morse moose the gray goose or whatever you know it's like <laughs> yeah what you know it's awesome you know i love that song you know uh freaking uh, every album you know back to the egg has hits hits like you know getting closer and 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 uh, you know on the same album there's something as nuts absolutely 
nuts as as freaking you know old Siamser and stuff like that. That's just like wow, they're going punk, you know, spinning on, you know. So it's really interesting to see all the variety on every record. Perfect example: Wings at the Speed of Sound, Silly Love Songs, which is considered one of the cheesiest, most hit. Like Paul literally is writing a song about how silly it is to write a love song with a disco beat, which I absolutely freaking adore. Mm -hmm. And on the same record, there's something as nuts, just nuts as Wayno Junko and note that you never wrote and, you know, cook of the house. Beware my love, you know, beware my love, which by the way, and I love Joe English and I love John Bonham and it blows my mind that John Bonham got beat up by Joe English. And he sure did. Because as much as I love John Bonham, Joe is the man on that track. Especially live. When they go to, Beware my love. The weird, well, he would be left, left-hand ride. And the man, he's just does some crazy stuff on that. I love that. And you know, it's like, um, Denny, my God, Denny, Denny Sywell. Paul had great taste in drummers and every single one of them from the history of Paul going all the way to Blair Cunningham and, you know, just discovered Blair. I've literally, so um, the podcast is chronological and I've just started looking at off the ground and the up close gig and stuff like that. Blair's fucking incredible. Oh my God. Blair's the man. Oh my God. Blair's the man. But you know, he, he came from, from the pretenders and, uh, you know, there's nothing. I have nothing against uh, the previous guy. What was his name? We, Chris, uh, Chris Witten. But Chris Witten was more of a session guy. You know, Dire Straits. Mm-hmm. Very like he liked electronics and he he played very straight. Blair Cunningham was unique. And one of the things that blows my mind about Off the Ground is that he uses brushes a lot, like on you know Hope of Deliverance and even Biker Like an Icon. It's brushes. Oh. You know, it's an electric song with brushes on drums, with a, with a rides overdub, which I love. It's so cool. There's so many things about Off the Ground. You know, that's the first, I think that was the first CD I bought with my own money. That and I bought cool. it the day it came out. That's cool. 93. And oh my God. I, come on, people. You know, God, what a song. You know, I'm I'm thinking side two is a little weaker compared to side one at the moment. It is. Well, you know, it's peace in the neighborhood. And, you know, it just it. one of the interesting things that we all talk about is re re reordering records to make them better. That album could have used a little bit of a better order. I think it definitely does kind of it. it, It's not the songs. It's the order that kind of. It starts off very strong. Put on like big boys bickering or long. Yeah, big boys bickering would have been great. Yeah, Golden Earth Girl. You know, there's some good stuff. I remember the 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 Hope of Deliverance single was very strong. The the CD single, you know, and Hope of Deliverance is an incredible song. Uh, I love that song. Uh, There's some great moments on that record that people don't talk about. Cosmically Conscious is so good. No one talks about that. Cosmically, yeah, Cosmically Conscious is incredible. You know, I think he wrote that with the Beatles. Yeah, he wrote that back in the 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the song that that doesn't that, that kind of throws the album awry for me is Do You Know What I Mean? Yeah. 
you know, especially because he used to play that second at every show. And it's like he would open up with like drive my car and then go straight into like preachy about, you know, like the cat with the machine in his brain, you know, put it in your own brain. And it's just like, uh, it's okay. It's great. It's good rocker. It's funny that song because it's even Linda's white coated man's actually a better animal rights protest song. And that's saying something, you know what I mean? I know, look, you know, Paul was passionate about it and passionate about landmines, passionate about so many different things over the last few years. And that's what makes him human is that and he can stumble. About Spotify, you know? <laughs> yeah. Look, he can stumble, but he always backs it up with something truly genius, you know? And it's fine. You know, I, 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 that's the thing. Paul isn't perfect. None of the Beatles were perfect. That's the problem with, with a lot of the music these days is that they try to be perfect every song. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to stumble. You know, part of what makes the next song better is if the next if the song previous to it is not that great. You know, I remember listening to Wildlife for the first time and being underwhelmed a little bit by by Mumbo and Big Bob as songs. But I can't listen to the, any different without hearing those songs be palate cleansers to what's coming later. Because I feel like they have their own joy to them, you know? And from talking to Denny, the goal with Mumbo being the opening track on Wildlife is to really establish that this is not Paul and other musicians. This is a band. Mm -hmm. And that's the band playing live on the floor of Studio Two. Take It Tony was because Paul, that's Paul telling tony the engineer to hit record yeah because he's like this is never going to happen again and it's awesome it's paul at his most unhinged you know what fernando you've already given me an hour of your time are you are you pressed dude are you are you all no good? i'm good you good awesome let's talk about the album yeah um well actually we've just spoken about wildlife and red rose um i mean in less than a year we've got the wildlife 50th anniversary you're in touch with Denny Sawyer, dude. Come on, put it. We've put already it. got some people never know. Uh, it's just a matter of getting him in for a couple of days and doing the drums for the rest of the songs and starting the process again. Denny is being a little apprehensive about it because he's like, you know, Ram on, you know, Ram is an album that everybody loves. Wings Wildlife is an album that the diehards love and a lot of people kind of dismiss. But that's more reason for us to give it another life. Because, my God, there's some people on this record that would really shine singing songs on Wildlife. And there's some magic on there. Even Love is Strange, you know, okay, Paul didn't write it, but there's something magical about that. And there's so many great tracks that were recorded during those sessions that can be included. Like, you know, I mean, there's, there's some really good stuff. Uh, God, man, that record is special to me, you know. My old band, Dreaming in Stereo, used to do Wildlife. My old band, Transcendence, used to do Tomorrow. You know, those songs are a part of my history as well. When you did Wildlife, did you add the coda at the end that they did live? We did, we did, we did a, a very interesting version that was very guitar-heavy. Like the, the opening riff, instead of playing, instead of, uh, of playing the, uh, the, instead of playing the thing on piano, the vibe was like, you 
Yes. like super slow it was almost like what would the song sound like if it was played at woodstock like uh, super slow a little too much marijuana a little too much booze and it was just like we took the key down and it was just like you know i took a walk an african park today. Gary Moore, Tommy Bolin, Jeff Beck, maybe like BBA, like uh, like Beck Booker Peace version. I was also getting a bit of Matt Bellamy vibes as well from Muse. I, I got a bit of a Muse vibe there as well. I love them. I, I love them. I, I, I love all music, but you know, it's like, it's interesting to take these songs and give it a, a different vibe and, and I, that'll be fun to do. We're going to do it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Oh, no, look, um, look, look, look. If you need some atonal backing vocals for Linda... <laughs> I'm your guy, you know. That's the thing about this record that was fun is that we got a lot of people, a lot of variety of people. There's a 10-year-old girl singing some backup vocals. She's the daughter of Morty Coyle and uh, Jody Sweden oh, wow. of, uh, of Full House. Um, and uh, Morty and his daughter Bia, who is named after the Beatles, her name is Beatrix, um, named after the Beatles. She sang some BVs on the record all the way up to Marvin, who's like, Marvin Stan was like 83, 84. So there's a lot of variety on the record. And there's, you know, 20s, 40s, 30s, 50s, you know, teenagers. Um, it's, it's really cool that we were able to find every generation of Ram fan. And hopefully we'll create more generations of Ram fans, you know. But yeah, we would love to do wildlife. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, uh, a lot of ideas that would pop into our heads. But you know, when it came to making this record, I talked to a few people and they're like, well, are you going to redo them all weird? You know, like, because there was another tribute to Ram that was done called Ram on LA. 2011, yeah. And 
there's some interesting stuff on there. There's some songs that were completely changed. Like I think uh, uh, Eat at Home is like a ballad or I, I forgot what it was. They did some weird stuff and we kind of kept it similar because Denny played the drum parts exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So there's only so much that you could do. There's only one song where he really played differently, which was uh, on uh, Three Legs, where he went for more of a traditional kit as opposed to on the record where he taped up cymbals and did a bunch of stuff. So we went a little more traditional on that one. Also on Dear Boy, he did uh, just one drum kit part as opposed to doing all the parts separate, like on the original. So it's a little funkier, uh, not necessarily. It's a little more um, of a beat than a part, you know, because on the original, it's very, you know, it's very, it's very like Beach Boys type Hal Blaine. And then he kind of brought it into his old world, um, the way he's been playing it. But so we started off with Denny uh, playing all the original drum parts. And then we kind of took some liberties. I had some ideas to have female singers, um, which uh, worked. But then he was like, I don't know how people are going to are going to um, embrace having a female voice on songs that they hear originally from a male perspective. But it ended up working for Oh Woman, Oh Why, because for the first time ever, it's now a dialogue between a woman and a man. So instead of just getting the guy's side of why his girlfriend shot him, now we get the girlfriend's side, you know, tire your cheating ways, you know, die. (laughs) So it's actually very sexy to me to hear that song with Eric Dover and Lauren Lee now in a dialogue. Another idea I had was to have another day from the girl's perspective. You know, every day I, as opposed to every day she, you know, so sad. Sometimes I feel so sad. But that could be something that could come out in the future. But Gordon Michaels did an incredible job on that song. That's an interesting story. So Gordon Michaels put out an album called Stargazer that was produced by Hugh McCracken. And, uh, there's a song on that record called Indoor Lovers that sounds like Another Day that was in the same key. And that's how he auditioned for the track because I was like, this guy could knock it out of the park. And he did. And he did an incredible job. And he kind of is representing Hugh McCracken because he lost Hugh. So every living musician on the record, aside from Paul, is on the record because we've got Dave Spinoza, Danny Sywell, Marvin Stamm. Hugh McCracken would have been on it because he was friends with Denny, but we lost him. And Linda's obviously passed away. And, you know, so it's a, it's a cool thing to have these names that we've read our entire lives off liner notes, you know. And um, Dave was great. I mean, he's proud of the record, you know, and he's, he's, he's not ashamed at all of, like, the, the whole, like, where he only did half the record. He's very proud of what he did, you know. It's great stuff. He's a great player, you know. But um, as a guitar player, Ram is such a great record. I mean, that too many people. That's some of the most electrifying guitar playing I've ever heard on a record. And it's Paul, you know. I love it. It was uh, my audition to get Denny to work with me was to show him how passionately I could play too many people. It's a great solo. It's incredible. I can remember hearing it the first time at university with the help of certain uh herbal uh imbibements shall we shall, shall we say and um because my dad had given me uh wings greatest and band on the run and i was like you know what 
I will I will try this McCartney guy out. See 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 what see what he's got. And I got Ram and the McCartney album, and it just blows you away. And then you, you've got Cowbell in it as well, which really uh, sends off the end for me. Just when going dunk dunk dunk. I know. The, 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 the cowbell part, I insisted on playing because I, I played exactly like the record. And it's just like, it's such a great part. I mean, it's it's so 70s. But when you hear that, it's such a great part. And it's so, there's so much to that track. There's so many layers. And man. <laughs> And then, you know the secret weapon of that album, that thing. You know, is this thing called a? It's called a micro vibe. It's actually a, a univibe, and that's that's the sound. It's actually up a capo. And it's that sound, and I think you had it because I hear on recordings that um, it's all it's all over the tracks with Hugh, and uh, it's it's kind of like the Jimi Hendrix, you know. It's a, it's the it's a, the like band of gypsies sound, but it's all over. I mean everything, all the tracks on on uh, on uh, you know. My God, it's it's all over. I mean, it's 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 such a cool thing. Yeah, I mean, it's also all over, like uh, you know, Dark Side of the Moon. But mm. I mean, from a guitar point, that record is so influential on all of us, and it's just like it's also a great record when it comes to the orchestration of all the parts. Everything on that record is there for a reason. Mm. Going from the, you know, it's like, it's an interesting Paul record. I don't think they had a lot of keyboards at A&R because I don't hear a lot of organ. I hear a lot of piano. Mm. I hear some Fender Rhodes and I hear, there's no synths on, there's no real synthesizers on on uh, on, on Ram. So it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting record because one of the things that's made Ram stand the test of time is that there's nothing on that record that pigeonholes it as a 70s record. There's no weird synthesizer, you know, there's no like, nothing on that record gives it the early death of it being a product of its time. It's mm -hmm. timeless. There's that video that's been going around about the whole like, you know, that this was the first indie rock record. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it was because there's so much variety to the material. I mean, what record starts off with something as powerful as too many people and then goes into Three Legs, which is a bluesy porch song, you know, to me, and then goes into Ram On, the first ever ukulele song. You know, the ukulele was, was a novelty instrument. It's Tiny Tim, Tiptoe Through the Tulips, you know. Ram On was proof that you could play a ukulele 
and it be emotional because there's a beauty to Ramon, you know, the ukulele almost adds to a certain, you know, there's the old joke that you can't be sad on a banjo or a ukulele, but you can because Ramon to me is one of the more emotional songs that Paul's written. It's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, um, if if you go to the concert for George, um, I'll see you in my dreams. Yeah, like, the song that ends it—that's the saddest song ever, and that's like, it that's is. Ukulele, isn't it? It's beautiful. Oh God, the concert for George! Talk about a perfect thing. I mean, they—that's uh, a perfect send-off. You know? Oh, oh, it's it, it's one of the best recorded like DVD concert films you can watch ever. Yeah, it is. It it makes me sad though because you know. Sadly, it's going to happen to Paul and Ringo eventually, you know. But what's what's it going to be like? Well, Paul's is going to have you're going to have Dave Grohl there. Oh God! <laughs> uh, basically, everyone of three imagined. Uh, yeah. I want I want Kanye and Rihanna doing four or five seconds. You're making it sound like it's going to happen in the next five years. No, in thirty years, when he's one hundred and twelve. Who's going to be on there? All the people that were on McCartney 5, of course. You know, that's the old joke. It's like, you're going to produce it, you know? Come on. <laughs> you're, 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 you know, look, your lips to God. I, I would love to work with Paul. I know the songs. I, I, I have a massive, I have a massive admiration for him. And I also kind of understand where he's coming from, you know, and, but he's got great guys around. I mean, the, the current band is phenomenal. Brian Ray and, man, I mean, you know, those guys are incredible. I've actually had interesting run-ins with people. I'm from Miami, Florida, and my band used to play shows with Gabe Dixon Band. And when I found out that Gabe Dixon had, was playing keys with Paul on Driving Rain and at the concert for New York, I was thrilled. And then when I found out that he told Paul no and quit the band before the tour i mean but i understand his band had just gotten signed right that makes sense so he chose gabe dixon over paul mccartney but damn you know which for forever changed wix's life again because he's the only holdover from flowers in the dirt off the ground to now and wix is great he's he's awesome he's he's part he's a big part of every paul show but um yeah and then uh, my old band, I was in a band called Price that was uh, signed to Geffen and they made a demo without Abel Boreal producing. But oh. I wasn't in the band anymore. But I, I, did a, I did a rehearsal with Abe and Abe was great. And I asked him a bunch of great questions. I was just like, I said, you don't look like a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I was for a while, but you know, he, it's interesting, the whole all veggie thing for a while, like... But still, I love Paul. I'd love to work with him. But come on, Fernando. If Paul comes up to you and says, "Look, Fernando, I loved Out to Sea One, Two, and Three. Come and do my next album." Would you? Would you take the gig, or would that be too daunting? I'm not an idiot. You know, <laughs> I, I, I would. I would take the gig if uh, you know I, somebody asked a good question because you know I'm I'm very vocal about my my issues with Kanye. And they're like, if Kanye asks to play for you to play on a record, yes. I mean, I'm an idiot to say no. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not going to be as excited. <laughs> as a professional musician that has to feed a family, yes, I would do it. But for God's sakes, 
you know, Paul is one of those situations that if he calls, you drop everything, you know, and he's going to, he's heard this from what I understand. He's heard this and he loves it. So fingers crossed. Come on. I mean, Idris Elba did one interview with him on the BBC and then he ends up on three imagined. Come on. You know, you are, you are six degrees from Kevin Bacon. Just make some calls, just pop into the Capitol building, drop off some muffins you know, I produced a session at the Capitol building and that was, uh, I thought that was, that was pretty pinnacle, but you know, I made a record called zebra crossing at Abbey road. And, uh, that was mind numbing. I played in Abbey road studio too, and sit at the piano too. Now here's the crazy part is I booked the time. This was September, 2018. And I booked the time and Paul, did the unveiling of of uh of egypt station there on a monday i went there on a wednesday and he played the uh, mrs mills piano at that show on that monday and i played it on wednesday so his dna got in my fingers i could have cloned him based on you know if i would have taken a sample off the keys but yeah it was incredible to sit there in that room and make my own music and uh, there's a version on YouTube of us doing While My Guitar Gently Weeps because I'm a, a big fan of the album, uh, the Beatles recording sessions. And when I booked September, when I booked the date of that thing, I looked up all the different dates of that date in, you know, in, uh, uh, on that thing. And I found out that the date that I was recording there was the 50th anniversary of when they first did that uh, version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps is Just Guitar and Organ from the oh. anthology. Yeah. The first time that George sang that song at Abbey Road. So That's so crazy because... Um, yeah, it's July 25th, 1968. And my session was July 25th, 2018. And uh, we did While My Guitar Gently Weeps with Diane Birch, um, with uh, just like it was like it was a really, really cool process to record the song with, with uh, Sean Lee, Jason Rowe, aka Jai, uh, Paul Stacey, uh, Dave Bainbridge, Andy Mapp. Uh, it was an incredible process, Daphne Rowe. And it, singing that song 50 years after George came in and said, I've got this song. You know, played it there for 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 George and and Paul. Paul played some harmonium on it. And... It's so funny because um, I got into the Beatles first through my dad's original iPod, and he just illegally downloaded so much of this music. And uh, on back on LimeWire, if you remember LimeWire back back in the day, and uh, he didn't like he didn't know the back catalogs, so he just downloaded whatever. And for about 10 years, I thought that anthology version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps was the actual version. That was uh, just... And to me, I, have a, funny, to me, I have a funny story about the White Album. My older brother um, got it on CD and I begged him to make me a cassette of it. And he only taped disc one. <laughs> That's, that was my, I, I, uh, I was in love with it. But at the same time, I was just like always wondering what this too was like. And I finally got it. And I was just like, oh, oh okay, this is where some of the meat. Because still, yeah. for this day, when I, when I talk about 
my God, White Album is such a great album. And I actually enjoy it as a double album, you know. Uh, it doesn't really bother me that, you know, it, 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 is, it has filler, but it's fantastic. I love that record. But uh, the thing that kills me about that record is, you know, the variety. Again, talk about variety, you know, where on the same record, you have something as hit-like as, you know, Obladi Blada and Back in the USSR. And on the same record, just Revolution 9, long, 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 yeah, you know, your blues. Everyone's got something to hide except me and my monkey. You know, there's so much variety on that record. These days, you get a record from a band, and it always seems like the same style all the way through. I think we need to have more variety on records, you know? Yeah, there should be if you have yeah. if you have a a obladi bada you need to have a savoy truffle you know if you have <laughs> if you have a a, a a back in the ussr you have to have an everybody got some in a hide except for me and my monkey it should be mandatory or at least people's subsequent albums should start having that stuff. Like, you know, if you've got to make the fame monster, you know, make that your please, please me, then like chromatica should be a little bit more interesting by this point, you know, and I'm, and I'm a self-confessed Lady Gaga fan, but it's not been, a trajectory no. upwards, it's been a trajectory middling, you know, it, there's, there's, there's not that same story. Someone, someone, a, a, a good example would be someone like St. Vincent. Every album's different. Every yes. album's been a massive progression since the last one. And you can go, oh, this is the album where she learned how to use horns. This is the album where she got synth down. And you can, you know, you can do a little flow chart with it. And you can do that with the, with, with the Beatles. Yeah, there's a little bit of everything. And that's the thing is that they were a, pro a product of their own curiosity. Because perfect example is George, you know, he saw those instruments while making help in the Indian's restaurant scene and said, I should get into the sitar. And he took it to the next level where it became almost an equal voice to his guitar. And, you know, nobody does that anymore. When it says you're playing rain, is that that thing that you just turn upside down? No, 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 no. I put a microphone out and uh, actually recorded the rainfall. <laughs> um, and uh, that's why I'm credited as Rain on that. And then he's credited, and it means credited on Thunder because he recorded Thunder. So, <laughs> I'm sure. Fun stuff. Additional ukulele, got you there, electric guitars, mel Mellotron, percussion. But no, you know, like to George, George discovering Indian music and taking it full on, you know, Paul's interest in, uh, in so many different styles and genres of music and you know he was fully aware of all the creative bands per proof positive is when you know recently in the sparks documentary it's talking about how paul dressed up as ron mael um you know uh the coming up video yeah which is a weird little connection <laughs> oh actually you just, you, you've just reminded me of something there. Um, at, behind me, folks, you can obviously see the artwork for the album, yeah. and I love the artwork for um, for your for your three solo albums with that guitar. That's a boat. Oh I, yeah, well that's that's interesting because that's actually painted by 
um, Genesis's original artist, Paul, Paul Whitehead, who did three other albums, uh, three other classic albums, Trespass, Nursery Crime, and Foxtrot. So that's actually original paintings by Paul from a series he did. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's beautiful paintings for the guitar boats, and I love it, you know. And it, it perfectly uh, matches the music, because if you hear those records, it's very nautical-themed uh, uh, instrumental prog. You know, well, it's got uh, it's got a nice visual pun that I like, and so does and so and so does this cover because it literally is Ram yes. without Paul McCartney on it. Like it yes. totally makes sense. Well, that 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 is my brilliant girlfriend Cindy Trissel, who uh, we were trying to come up with something that will give the um, the spirit of Ram without ripping it off, because all the other Ram tribute albums have used the sides. And the uh, basically like Dave Depper's uh, Ram project, he's it's him, it's him and a cat, you know, and like they all use the side and stuff. And we wanted it to be our own thing. Well, and, well, and you've used the uh, the inside the in. Well, actually, I don't think it'll actually appear on this feed, but you've used the inside color scheme, uh, the the uh, blue and green. For yeah, the, uh, we wanted it to have the, the the feel of Ram without it being a uh, a rip off of it, you know. And we're not looking to replace Ram. We're looking for it to be, for this record to be a uh, companion piece so that you've enjoyed Ram for all your life a certain way. Here's some different generations with the original drummer and guitar player, you know, playing these songs and bringing new life to them. You know, it's a beautiful thing. And we really did it with respect. And Denny would not have let this happen if it wasn't to his standards and his standards are very high and uh, very happy with how it turned out. And I hope people dig it. You know, one of my favorite things to do right now is to buy an album and then buy the CD and slip the CD into, into, into the separate vinyl case and have a nice little complete collection. I've, yes! just, I've got the half speed of Ram that's just been announced. That's on the way. And Ram on the 50th anniversary to Paul and Linda McCartney's Ram is going to go right in there it's going to be Yay. Very well here's the thing is that the thing that that blows my mind is that you know this music is timeless and it really is going to it's going to fascinate people that we were able to take this music and create a tasteful replication with its own vibe and every singer brings their own personality every guitar player brings their own personality every bass player, every keyboard player, everything. So it's the same music presented tastefully with a new, with a new feel. And uh, it's also, as a fan, like I, I, every record I produce, I look at it inside and out and say, what would I, how would I feel if I saw an email saying that this album existed? And I would be very, um, you know, curious to hear Denny at 78 playing the same parts with all these new different people on it. And I would dig it. I, I think I would be very excited that it's not, it's not a bizarre redo. It is done with love for the original record. And you could tell that we're not just paying tribute to the songs. We're not just paying tribute to Paul. We're not just paying tribute to even Ram as an entity. We're paying tribute to the production, the playing, the artwork, 
the spirit of the lyrics, the stories. We're paying tribute to every every little element that makes the album because we're all producers. We're all, you know, multi-instrumentalists. We're all songwriters. And this album has influenced every fiber of our being from our choices and, you know, when we, when we, when we sequence our albums to album covers, to our choices in guitars and guitar effects and our choices in, in songwriting, you know, this album the thing that I hear the most about Ram is that it is influential to the fiber of our being as musicians. Because this is an album that most of us discovered early that set the bar very high as a statement. The album is a statement. And, it, you know, the critics didn't like it. Even the Beatles didn't like it. I mean, there's famous stories about Ringo and John being baffled by it you know mm. but it's a perfect album yeah there's not a lot of albums that you could say are perfect and every song on ram is perfect as a as together you know some songs you know you pull out and you're like okay three legs seems a little you know simple but there's a purpose for three legs it's a palate cleanser between too many people that just blew your your face off so that it prepares you for some softer tunes like Ram on dear, dear boy and uncle Albert, you know, if you followed too many people with Ram on, it would be too jarring. Mm -hmm. You know, three legs is a perfect middle ground between too many people and Ram on. And that's why the album is done in sequence um, it was my insistence to include another day in a woman a why mm -hmm. we would have gone whole hog if we would have had a little more time and done, you know, the other tunes that were done on the record. Like I would have loved to have done little woman love, uh, as a funk tune. You know, I had some ideas for that. Um, sunshine sometime. I love that song. I mean, it'd be beautiful to do that one. With, with uh, the vocals as well. I've, I've only just, oh, yeah. I, I didn't even know there was vocals for it. It blew, it blew me away. It blew me away. Oh my god. A beautiful song. Great baseline too. Great song. Just just the whole the progression, you know. Yeah. Oh. Of course I grab a guitar with some little tune. I believe we can play, I believe. No, yeah, but it's so it's so good. You know. guitar and just play sunshine sometime off the top why of not Folks, why not that's the best thing oh my god that's amazing why oh. not do water spout right now the water spout you got me you know what but i'm not i'm not one of those people that could play any song at any time but that song just i made me want to learn it immediately mm -hmm. but you know look man I, I love all the weird tunes you know mm -hmm. 
Walk it down. stuff i mean look man this is the beginning of my life when it came to music was obsessing over paul wings that whole thing there was a there was a pivotal moment that happened that i just remembered um when jeff emmerich put out the uh, very controversial book here there and everywhere mm-hmm. he did a talk in miami and he uh, i went to the to the uh, book signing event and he talked only about the Beatles and he said he opened the room to questions. And I said, well, you know, these Beatles stories are great, but I'd love to hear more about, you know, um, you being brought in to, to work on band on the run. And, uh, and if you have any wing stories, he says, why would anybody want to hear about that? I honestly don't remember. And people looked at me like, who is this freak talking about wings at a Beatles thing? And my friend, Dan Warner, who was the guitar player for Barry Gibb and for uh, Gloria Estefan, he came up to me afterwards and he said, never stop being you because you're the only you in this world. And I always let that be with me. And this is exactly who I am. I'm, I'm the weirdo that decided to do a new version of Ram with Denny Sywell. I'm the weirdo that just made an album with Carmen a piece because I'm obsessed with BBA and, 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 and cactus and, and, uh, and vanilla fudge, you know, I mean, I'm the weirdo that's produced a tra- produced a yes cover by Curved Air. You know, it's like I'm a weird record collector that loves what I the stuff that affects me is not necessarily what affects the people around me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm trying to work with uh, Judy Zook, uh, you know, who was one of my favorite artists of all time. Um, I've been trying to contact uh, David Clayton Thomas. Um, you know, I've I. Actually, when I was on tour in Sweden, I, I recorded a song at the Cardigan Studio, at Tambourine Studios. Look, man, you know, I, I have bizarre taste in music, but I take it to the next level because, you know, I still, love, I still love these people that are still alive, that are still creative, making music. That's all that matters, man. On that note... I can't think of a better way to to end the conversation than on that very eloquent, erudite note. Um, yeah. Dude, when's the album coming out and where can people find it? It's coming out 50 years to the day of the release of Ram, May 14th, 2021. And it comes out on Cherry Red, uh, Spirit of Unicorn, which is a, the label that's run by Yes's management uh, on uh, Cherry Red. And it'll be available everywhere in stores, uh, online, uh, digital. And uh, we're hoping to have vinyl for Christmas. But for now, it's the only. I kind of told him, I'm like, if this album sells well enough, we're going to have to do vinyl. So we'll do a separate vinyl order. But for now, it's CD and uh, digital. And it'll be out on May 14th. And you can pre-order it now uh, through anywhere. Amazon, Rough Trade, anywhere. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll have three vinyls when they're when they're ready, please. Uh, I'll cool. have one signed by you, one signed by Denny, and one by Dave Spinoza. I think. Yay! Uh, <laughs> awesome. Uh, and and you and you can charge fifty dollars each for the signatures as well. I have a question for you. From what you've heard, what's your favorite track? Oh, uh, it was probably "Oh Woman, Oh Why" because it really caught me off guard with that with that with that vocal. 
Um, Are you a Genesis fan? Uh, my my musical knowledge is deep, but very very narrow. I I know about three. Okay, bands. so Eric Dover, who's the male voice on that, is, was the guitar player for Jellyfish after the Spilt Milk album, and he was also the singer in Slash's Snake Pit. Okay, okay, yeah, but he's got the Steven Tyler vibe on this, and it's just amazing. And Lauren Lee, I produced her album. She's a, a soul singer from San Diego who's in her 20s, and she's just incredible. But uh, Oh Woman, Oh Why is one of those tracks that I, when I first bought um, Ram, it was a bonus track. And it's just like, oh my God, that song just blows my mind. That drum intro from, you know, as a guitar player, there's just something sexy about that song. I mean, you know, just, there's, the, the, you know what it is? It's the space between the riffs. It's just like Sing that I just realized something. Oh, woman, oh, why? Influence more than a feeling. <laughs> oh, check it out. Yeah. My best friend's a huge Boston fan. This is driving mad. So Tom Schultz probably listened to Owen O'Y and said, <laughs> That's literally the guitar part during that section. And then he just changed it to D. So Tom Schultz needs to call Paul and said, I got that from you. Oh, not another lawsuit, not another no one. No lawsuit. There's two <laughs> types of things that could come of this. Either a lawsuit or a hug. And I or think they should just hug it out. Yeah. Awesome. I think hugs are going to become the new drug. You know, now that like uh, COVID is going to be gone soon, everyone's going to be hugging each other like, you know, like brothels in the 70s. You know, hugging oh, is going to be a thing. Dude, like I've had a couple of months off furlough. I work in a classic British pub. I go back to work next week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, it's going to cool. be a fucking nightmare. It's going to be a nightmare. I'm like, oh. No, it's it's going to be why? everything you want it to be. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm just at home chatting to LA record producers instead. <laughs> this has been a blast, Sam. You're the man. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> for um, I will make sure all the links are down below for your socials and for like the links to the album. Awesome. I hope everybody, you know what? Here's what I want. I want everybody that listens to this record to tell us what you think about it. And even if it's negative, I honestly would rather have everybody talking about it than indifference. Because that's the key thing here. It's, 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 it's about people talking about RAM. Our goal is for it to up the amount of people talking about RAM. 
And if you don't like it, listen to the original, damn it. You know? <laughs> and, you know as long as everybody's listening to Ram, it's going to be a perfect world, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, you'll probably have some super, you know, diehard fans saying, oh, it's not as good as the King Crimson cover album, you know? <laughs> well... Yeah, no, I, 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 I even could disagree because I, I, I love my King Crimson tribute album, but it's just a classical guitar record. This record was like it took every inch of my my being to like create this record and do it the right way. It was a hard one, and a lot of uh, a lot of credit goes to our mixing engineer Zach Ziskin to be able to. He's also a huge Ram fan, and he didn't have to listen to Ram to make it sound right. He knew what. <laughs> And it's it's there. It's definitely there. So, good times, man. What a pleasure. I can't think of a better way to spend my afternoon. Thank you. You've given me about double the time I thought I was going to get off you. So, you've been very gracious. Thank you so Thanks. much. Uh, peace and love, peace and love. No more autographs. Peace and love. No interviews. Thank you, man. Have a good day. Thank you.